I'm, I'm glad to be back with you. As you uh, remember, last night we talked about seven things that um, I want all parents to know and understand about what your kids need, questions I think that all parents are asking. If you aren't asking these questions, then I'm deeply sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> uh, but they were the things that our children need to do life, to be in God's image, and to prepare them for adulthood, goal being to get rid of them. And um, therefore, seven capacities that you might want to help your kids develop. Like I said, I want to give you a blueprint for your parenting, a grid for how to think about it. That way when you know, Nathan Jr. hits his friend Jimmy, you can have more to bring to the table than we'll hit him back. You know, I want you thinking. I want you informed. You know, could this be an emotional management issue? Is this an issue of limit setting? I want you strategic. Um, this is not just a parenting advice seminar. I want you to get how kids work. Now, secondly, we're looking at what to do when you drop the ball because you certainly will, and I want to get you out of that parenting perfectly prison and stop living so pressured. So we're going to look at two of these uh, this morning. We're going to look at how do I get my kids to do what I say. In other words, issues of responsibility, consequences, discipline, all of that. In other words, how do we get Godzilla out of Tokyo? And number two, we're going to look at teaching our kids about relationship. How do we help them internalize, hang on to, and be grounded in a sense of being loved. All right, so let's get started. First, I want to teach you and talk with you about my model for doing discipline and getting kids to obey. That's why you came, right? Because how do we get control of our kids? I want to show you what I believe is a very, very powerful way of engaging kids, and I actually came up with it to deal with my own life. Remember, I told you last night that I would get angry as a parent. I would tell my kids what to do, and they would refuse or ignore me, and so then I would like yell at them, and then they'd start crying, and then, you know, there'd be a big hole of blue, and it was like that every night, you know, just like leave it to beaver, fun for the whole family, okay? And I thought, you know, Cox, you're a shrink. You ought to be able to figure this out. Like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, so I did, and I'm going to teach you what it is. So here you are, this loving parent, and everything is going well, right, as long as you do their bidding. But then you do something stupid, like take them to the grocery store. You know, what are you thinking, you fools? You know, you know how every little kid, every, you know, your perfect little angel, you take them to the grocery store or Toys R Us back in those days, and, you know, they turn into an international terrorist, you know, Carlos the Jackal you know, an ISIS operative. And their message to you is essentially, you'll buy me this worthless toy or else I will scream so loud that everyone in the store will hear the cries of my people, you know. Um, or as teens, you know, you tell them to do their chores and they're like on the phone to the Department of Human Services reporting you for abuse. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're doing the thing with picking up the socks again. They're, yeah, could you could this go on their record, you know. Basically, they don't like the reality of things, and they don't like limits set on them, and they don't like no. But if you think about it, none of us do, all right? But by 18 months or two years or so, they sort of make it required for your survival and theirs. 
I, I remember I took mine out one Saturday. I was like, hey, I'm going to be Disneyland dad. Norm, you get the day off. I'm going to take them out. And we rode go-karts, and we played goofy golf, and we went to the mall, and we had pizza, and, and we just had this big day. And then on our way home, I pulled into the parking lot of this, the, the cleaners. I needed to pick up my cleaners. And, and they're like, wait, where are we going? I'm like, I can pick up my cleaners. There's just be a second. And they're like, no, we don't want to stop at the cleaners. And so they all start screaming and yelling because they don't want to stop at the cleaners after I've given this perfect day. And I actually remember the stories in the book, walking back out of the cleaners. I just left them in the car. And I'm walking out of the cleaners, I could see the, their faces and torment and tears through the windows, silent, you know. But you could see the, you know, this misery. So we walk in the house, and they're just, you know, enormous, like, what happened? I'm like, oh, it's terrible, you know. We had the perfect day, and then I got my cleaners. So actually, they kind of make it required for us to do this. There's actually two reasons that we discipline, uh, in a sense. This is a bit of a throwaway, but. Um, you know, number one, to help our kids learn to make wise choices and obey us and make good choices in reality and not hurt themselves and other people. And the other reason we discipline is to make our children people we can stand being around, okay? There's no, like, Bible commandment against going nan and nan and nan and the backseat of the car for three hours. But if you don't shut that down, you're going to, like, be miserable. So, anyway, it would be nice if we could just be nice to them, but they will take advantage of that because they're red-blooded American gangsters. So as Al Capone said, you can get a lot with kindness. You can get more with kindness and a gun. So today we're going to talk about the gun. We're going to bring the noise, all right? So how do we set dim limits on them? What should discipline look like? I'm going to give you a model for it first. Um, I'm going to blow that model up with examples first, and then we're going to look at steps. And as we go through my little model, what you're going to be thinking at some point is, yeah, but what about so-and-so? And I actually want you to think that, because then we can come back in Q&A, and you will actually help me put more meat on the bones with our examples, all right? Now, again, yeah. our age groups. We're going to have um, to apply this to the different age groups. This model works best out of the box to the parenting age group. With littles in the attending phase, as we said, we'll need to connect a little more of a hands-on restraint, praise, redirection. We're actually teaching them about how discipline works. And then with teenagers, you got a whole, you know, shebang of teenage garbage that gets added onto here. So we'll talk about the variations. So let's build the model first, and then we can tweak, and then we'll talk about some steps on it. So how do we help our kids make wise choices in life? That's ultimately what this is about, and the way I want you to think about it. Not just how do I get them to do what I say. I'll tell you in a little bit why that's a less than ideal way to think. How do I help them learn to make wise choices in their lives today, now, but also help them learn to make choices as adults. Now, there's three ways in which people have tended uh, to uh, answer this question. One of them, as we said last night, we call coddling. Now, coddling is essentially good cop, good cop, okay? This is basically, uh, you know, we're all friends here. Like I said last night, 
the, the, my generation of parents and yours tends to parent out of this place. With coddling, they're like throwing plates at the neighbor's house. Remember uh, Raising Arizona? Mind you don't cut yourself, Mordecai. Remember? That's kind of where we are. Um, but we're like, you know, hey, buddy. Hey, we talked about this. Or, hey, you want to pick up your toys, okay? Okay? Like we're like making sure we don't step on any toes here, you know? Coddling is sort of like we're all friends. In our culture, parents are the ones who are seen and not heard. <laughs> um, another one I love, since coddling parents often don't feel like they can just tell their children what to do, they, they sometimes feel like they sort of have to pitch it to their kids, kind of sell them on it. One technique I like, I call the good cop, better cop, team parent approach. And it goes something like this. One parent poses a proposition to the child, and then the other parent, the other coddling parent, will jump in quickly sort of to encourage it. Okay, and it sounds like this. Hey, guys, in a minute we're going to have a bath. Parent number two. <gasps> a bath. Get it? Now, basically we're not going to spend too much time on the coddling thing because you've basically abdicated all of your authority at this point, so there's no point in really going there unless you have more questions. So well, let's move on to option number two and spend a bit of time on it because it's kind of our default mode when we're frustrated for all of us. And this one we're going to call control. And actually control needs no introduction because it's our typical go-to. When we feel frustrated or our children aren't doing what we ask, we very quickly and easily move to trying to make them do something. Control is basically where the first thing we do is we're going to issue some kind of a command. So you walk in, your child's room looks like a mosh pit, and you say, clean your room. Or stop hitting the heirloom furniture with the plastic golf club or run around the house in a ballerina to, to screaming or come in at 1130, you know, pick your war zone. And what? Well, they're not going to do that. Okay? In fact... What are they going to do? Let's just stick with the clean room for starters for an example to play with. You say clean your room. What are they going to do? Basically some form of refusal. They're going to do nothing. They're going to stare like there's a gas leak in the room. You know, They're going to uh, uh, pick up two things and then stand in the middle of the squalor and go, I cleaned it. Look. They're going to ask to know why. Why? Like, unless you have a cogent, persuasive reason, the deal is off, all right? I had one who uh, would play the histrionic card. She would say, I, I, I really want to clean my room, but I just feel too sick. I mean, and I actually feel bad about it because I know I really should clean my room. And it hurts y'all that I don't, but, but I just feel too bad. I'm like, great, you know. My office manager told me that her, her daughter would say, but I don't want to. And my office manager would say, that's okay. You don't have to want to. <laughs> in other words, they're going to refuse in some way. Now, at that point, once they refuse, um, I'm sort of wanting to deconstruct what goes on in these power struggles, all right? Uh, at that point, once they refuse, what do we do? What's our part in this waltz? Well, as parents... They refuse, and usually we will tend to escalate. In other words, we will argue with them. We will threaten to them. We will try to give them that reason. You know, why should I do this? Well, if you don't, because, and we, as if that's actually going to work, we say it louder. 
We use their whole name just in case they think we may be talking to another Billy Smith over there. No, it's Billy Robinson Smith, just to be really clear, all right? We count, you know, one, two, like that works. You just saw, remember the movie um, Date Night with Tina Fey and Steve Carell? And he comes home from work and she's like, I can't get her to do anything I say. And Steve Carell's like, well, did you one, two, three? And she's like, yeah, I one, two, three, and it still didn't work, you know? <laughs> We say, I'm not going to tell you again. All right, a little peek into my, my character. When I was a little boy, my mother said that to me once, and I went, good. Like, things are looking up. Okay, don't ever say that. Just a, just a warning, you know, that it didn't turn out well, all right? Anyway, those are sort of the tools of the trade with control. Refusal and escalation, all right? This is kind of the coin of the realm. And, and don't look now, but the room is still not clean. In other words, control doesn't work. Basically, there's a sense in which we could argue that you really can't control anybody. Now, the reason for that, like they say in Cool Hand Luke, is what we got here is a failure to communicate, all right? And it's called a power struggle, a battle of your wills versus theirs. Do I remember a question, a couple of questions I had last night in which I said, I smell a power struggle. And, uh, and you will be able to smell it once I sort of get you on the scent of it. A power struggle is a battle of them versus you. And you can feel that sense in which the child would rather win than anything. And they will, you know, they will drive off a cliff before they will let you use, let, let you win and they lose. Now, the power struggle is the natural habitat of the creature known to biologists as the American child, all right? And a power struggle is officially defined as two parts. Your child challenges your authority, that's part one, but that's not enough, and you attempt to prove it. Two parts, and both of those parts have to be there for you to have a real power struggle, because the moment you actually engage it and go, oh yeah, well then I'll you're tacitly implying that my authority is something that, that's, that's illegitimate to question because I'm going to engage this to make my point, all right? So two parts. Child says, no way, not going to debt. And the parent says, well, I'll show you. And I promise you, if you play a power struggle with a child, especially a teenager, it's going to be hasta lasagna, don't get any on you. You will lose, all right? They're better at being immature even than we are. All right? You will lose either because they win and they never clean their room and you have an honest to goodness south of the border coup d'etat on your hands. You're living with the Cardassians. <laughs> or you will lose because you won. But you won by being bigger and louder and meaner and threateningier and shamier and yellier. And you forced them and you've proven your authority. But everybody's in tears and angry and exhausted and resentful. And even if the room does get clean, their takeaway is, man, I'm going to win next time. Or, man, I'm mad at dad. Or, man, I'm going to never try again and just be a compliant child for the rest of my life. Nothing good. And no takeaway about actually learning to make wise choices or bend the knee. All right? In fact, one of the things that I've seen when we engage in a control style of discipline, you will do what I've told you right now. 
that authoritarian style, that power struggle style, is we actually only get one of three options. Number one, we can create a child, an individual who is compliant, all right? In other words, you win, and, and some of you have children who will always do what you say, and that's fine, but I want you to be a little careful of it. These compliant kids give in, do what you say, never push back, never disobey you or anyone else, okay? And that's fun when we're proud of our little soldier at grandma's house. But as we implied last night, how are the compliant adults doing in life? All right? We're parenting for adulthood here. So I want to be careful about just wanting compliance. I see these kids when they're 22, as I alluded last night, and they can't say no to anybody. Their lives are kind of run by the parent figures in their life. Their boss, very often their spouse. Uh, the teenagers, that guy in the backseat of his Camaro, they're compliant. It's what you wanted, right? I don't think that's the best idea for adulthood, all right? Or you can get a rebel. Not a land shark, a rebel. Um, anyway, with controlling a rebel, it's basically lying in the sand. You basically say, let's go to war, and he's like, Absolutely. I will take you down. And they'll take this as far as you want, in your face. You often see in a power struggle with a rebel kind of kid, an escalating kind of war zone, you know. Uh, they, they, they don't clean their room, so you ground them. So they sneak out, so you nail the windows shut. So they build a meth lab in the basement, you know. And you're like, whoa, that escalated quickly. You know, it, it, like, how did we get here? But they will, they will take it as far as necessary. A lot of times when parents say to me, nothing we are doing is working, it's because what they are doing or what they are trying is taking place within the culture of control, and nothing works there, okay? Primarily because the child is only thinking at this point about how to beat you. They're not thinking about, hey, I really don't want to lose my phone, right? Third option is you can create a sneak. The the, the socioeconomic class I tend to see in therapy, this was a very popular one with their kids. These kids make you think they're winning. They make you think that they're complying. You're little angel, but just wait, all right? As teens, they act nice and sweet, but then you find emails they're writing with their boyfriend about, you know, doing stuff like they do on late night TV. Uh, I, I have a friend who... Um, was raised in a real uh, strict Baptist household, and they wouldn't let her listen to rock and roll uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, but she loved Prince and ACDC and Bon Jovi. And so what she did was she got her you know, Bon Jovi cassettes and put them inside her Amy Grant cassette case. So you'd look at the case, and it's like, you know, Amy Grant's My Father's Eyes. And you open it up, and it's Bon Jovi's classic album, Slippery When Wet, you know. And that's, that's where a sneak is going to go, all right? <laughs> so those are your only options with control, boys and girls. Um, oh, and, and BT dubs. Another problem with control is that anger is usually involved in control. Now, if we're going to talk about discipline, if we're going to talk about power struggles, if we're going to talk about kids, we've got to talk about anger, right? 
Because all of us, I, I've already told you three times now that I struggle with my anger as a parent. And uh, actually, this model I'm going to teach you of teaching discipline, one of the reasons I came up with it is because I knew it would help me stop being angry. It made me not angry anymore. It, it, so uh, you've got that hope in store for you. But anger. Let's talk about anger and discipline just a second. Um, number one, secret of the universe. Anger is what we do when we don't feel powerful. Okay? Technically speaking, if this were a, a conference on your own personal growth, we would talk about how anger technically is a defense mechanism. Anger is this, I tell people that anger is the second thing we feel. It is a way to mask a more vulnerable feeling. It's a defense. I feel vulnerable, helpless. So child, child, child refuses to do what I say. What you're feeling then is helpless, vulnerable, uh, a little bit of shame, some anxiety. Um, if I were a good parent, I would know how to handle this, so I must not be a good parent. You feel all those helpless, yucky feelings, but the psychological secret is very few of us stay there. We will move very quickly from a vulnerable feeling to anger, and it flips it upside down, and now we feel powerful again. That's a lot of the dynamic of anger. If you want to understand your anger, ask yourself, what's the first thing I felt? All right? That's kind of another show, which you can ask about in Q&A if you want, but um, hugely important. As you're making sense of anger with your children... I want you to be thinking, wow, what is this triggering in me? Okay? And remember, this is a defense against something else. Number two, if you're not careful, anger will corrupt your discipline. It will undermine your power. Number one reason for that is it makes anger, it makes discipline personal, not educational. One of the things that we've said last night and we'll talk about more today is that the goal of discipline is education. We are teaching them to make choices in their lives. In other words, the goal here is make a choice and learn for the future, not be punished. Notice I never used the word punished in this conference so far, and I won't. Punishment is technically a retaliation for a crime. Discipline is education for the future. Punishment typically comes out of anger. Educational discipline comes out of um, like, hey, I don't have a dog in this fight. Here's your consequence, all right? We're teaching here. The goal is learning, not punishment. And to the degree that anger gets mixed up in there, it starts to slip over from discipline into punishment, all right? Secondly, discipline lessens your power. I mean, uh, anger lessens your power. Secret of the universe number 37. There's an inverse relationship between how angry you are and the effectiveness of your discipline. In other words, to the degree that you're going, oh my gosh, you rotten kids, I can't believe. Their takeaway is going to be, wow, mom's a wacko. Not a lot of learning in reality, all right? To the degree that your anger drops, the power of your discipline moves up. And to the degree that you're going, hey, yeah, you know, I told you guys if you didn't get your room clean, I was going to take your Xbox. And gee, this room's just not clean. The power of the discipline is huge 
because there's nothing else in the room to point at, just an empty spot where the Xbox used to be, all right? Your kids aren't getting distracted by your hissy fit, okay? So, anger is what we do when we don't feel powerful. So let's get powerful. I want to think about a different way of doing discipline that we alluded to last night that begins with saying basically that kids aren't born with the ability to submit and the ability to make wise choices and the ability to obey any more than they're born with the ability to understand trust or forgiveness or emotional management. They're pretty clueless at first. That's why we said last night that you got to be kind of careful of the authoritarian types um, who act like there's this kid walking around with this ability to submit, and by golly, they're just not willing to do it. They can't do it, but we can teach them to do it, all right? They don't know how, so we're going to teach them. As we said, we're going to call this teaching discipline. And it's not about our controlling our kids. It's about teaching them to wisely control themselves by experiencing events in reality. Remember, events are the only place where we really learn. And learning what leads to good things and what leads to bad things and learning to choose wisely. Let me say that again. Discipline is not about our controlling our kids. It's about teaching them to wisely control themselves by experiencing events, experiencing consequences, and learning what choices lead to good things and what choices lead to bad things, and learning to choose wisely, okay? That's what healthy adults do. That's what God calls us to. He calls it wisdom. But we teach them. Now, I will grant this, and this bugs some people, but the goal of teaching discipline will not be necessarily immediate obedience on this occasion. All right? I'm going to give that up. But remember, it can't be. That's called control. And you get a compliant, a rebel, or a sneak. All right? The goal is for them to learn to do it tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that if you want to change it right now I mean there's some issues of danger or whatever you got to jump in and grab them but if you want to teach them right now you will end up in a power struggle our goal is to teach them tomorrow because they've learned to obey in fact here's today's zen grasshopper moment okay the only way that children there the only way that children learn to obey is by disobeying and learning from the consequences of that okay not us yelling and controlling so there's some good news for you your children's disobedience is not your failure as a parent it's actually school your children are learning The only way children learn to obey is actually by disobeying and reaping consequences for that, okay? As long as it costs them with an event, they're going to learn. So, I'm going to teach you about teaching discipline. And I'm going to start teaching you by using examples. And here's here's um, here's, here's what I want you to look for. 
when you encounter that in your face, when you encounter that no, when you encounter that pushback, when they throw down, what I want to do is change the conflict from you versus your child to them versus what they reap in reality. That's our plan. When you feel that pushback, no, make me do it. I want you to drop your guns and back up, and we're going to shift the conflict from me versus you. Am I going to make you do this to you versus your choices in reality? All right. And what I have found is if we can get our anger and control out of the way, and if we can let the choices cost them like choices cost us in reality, routinely, all things being equal, it can learn. All right. So what does this look like? I'm going to give you some examples and kind of give you a vibe. Um, remember I told you Bonnie, our youngest, was uh, the last one at home when the sisters went off to college. She calls it the golden years. Um, well, she and Norman and I were eating supper one night when she was a full-blown teenager. And uh, after dinner, we got up and Norman and I started cleaning the dishes and cleaning up after supper. And Bonnie sashays past us and walks up the stairs toward her room leaving us in the kitchen to clean up by ourselves. And as she's headed up the stairs, I said, Bonnie, Bonnie, would you come down and help us clean? And she looked at me and she said, are you on pills? <laughs> and she went up to her room and slammed the door. Now, notice the feeling you're having right now, okay? This is very important. This feeling... Similar to the feeling of when your toddler keeps throwing food on the floor or it's cold outside and you're trying to get them to come in and they just start dancing and going limp leg and won't let you. Um, we're going to come back to this feeling because it's one of the most powerful enemies to your discipline. That frustrated, helpless, what would a good parent do? I've lost control of my children feeling. You conquer that. And you've conquered discipline. So I want you to double-click that feeling you had when you saw or you own pills to favorites because we're going to need to remember that feeling. All right? Now, back to our story. I felt that feeling in that moment. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? And I didn't know. And you often won't know. If you're going to do teaching discipline like we're talking about, it's going to take a little creativity and some time and 90% of the time, there's really no rush. And unfortunately, they're not going anywhere. So we've got the time to actually think sometimes. And I didn't know what to do at first. I'm thinking, okay, what are my options here? I can storm upstairs, bust down our door, and say, you get downstairs right now, young lady. And, and I'm not seeing that work out real well. I'm thinking I can do nothing. And basically, she gets away with being the princess, so you on pills for the rest of her life. That doesn't feel like a good idea. So I start thinking, how do I make this cost her, not me? How do I make this a situation in which she doesn't encounter me going nuts or trying to control her into coming down and cleaning the kitchen, but something that costs her? And it took me a minute of thinking, okay? And then I got it. I walked over to the keys, got her car keys, put them in my pocket. Norm and I then went into our room. We started watching a TV show or something. And uh, 30 minutes later or so, we could hear Bonnie, you know, clacking down the, the stairs, you know, in her, you know, platform Barbie shoes. And you could, like, smell her before you could see her. You know, she was all lathered up and something, you know. 
And I hear her go to the key chain rack thing, and, and, and she's like, comes in our room and goes, oh, my gosh, where are my keys? And I said, um, they're in my pocket. Uh, she goes, well, I need to go to Chris's. And I said, are you on pills? <laughs> I kept looking around for a mic to drop. It's like, I need a mic. I said, I left some dishes in the kitchen, and if you can keep from getting the soap suds on your little mini skirt, uh, you can do the dishes, and I'll give you your keys back. Okay, so the trick there was I had to get myself out of the dynamic, okay? I can't make her do it, but I can create a scenario in which she has to learn to do it, all right? Let's go back to uh, the, the, the mosh pit room. Um, Go clean your room, you know, and they do the gas leak and they refuse and blah, 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 blah. Well, one of the things that I would do often is say, that's fine. You know what? I was wrong. You don't have to clean your rooms. No electronics are coming on into the, in the house until your rooms are clean, but that's fine. I don't care. You can read the classics in your filthy rooms. You know, Moby Dick, Anna Karenina, they're all here in your filthy rooms. And, you know, mom and elderly go, oh, no, my gosh, the Gilmore Girls comes on in 10 minutes. You know, hashtag 90s parenting. But um, then they would, they would swing into action. Uh, another one I used and that I recommend is, um, you know what? Uh, you, uh, you don't have to clean your room. Somebody has to clean your room, though. And if you're not going to clean it, I will be glad to clean it. However, everything I pick up in your room goes in the Sunday box till Sunday which I would use the trunk of my car. And on Sunday, you get it back. You get a refresh. You get a jubilee year. Everything comes back, all right? But um, otherwise, I will pick it up, and it'll go in the Sunday box. And usually, they're fine with that the first time through. They're like, um, housekeeping, you know, you missed a spot over here, you know? But then tomorrow, there's that soccer game, and their soccer cleats are in the Sunday box. Sorry. Oh, no, really? Oh, I can't, I, yeah, I remember now picking them up. I'm so sorry, babe. Now, most parents I encounter would give them the cleats back. And that's why our children are out of control, right? Younger kids who won't brush their teeth. I love time out. It's a personal favorite of mine. It makes a consequence that's not me aggressive against them. It's um, isolation. It makes it very clear this is a choice of you and your consequences, not between you and me. I don't know, it's convenient, nonviolent, you know, especially with aggressive kids, it's nice. Um, but also with kids who can hold you hostage over something you can't control. Go brush your teeth. How do you make them brush their teeth? You get my vibe, you can't control anybody. You can hold their mouth open and do the toothbrush. We're very limited and powerless, which is why we get angry. I want to say, as I, I used an example similar to this last night, I want them and their toothbrush in the bathroom, and you can come out when you're done. That can be three hours if you want it. I don't have a dog in that fight. Or it can be two seconds. Brush your teeth, right? Um, I remember when Bonnie was about five, she was sick. She may have been four or five, whatever. Um, and Norma needed to give her some medicine. You know, in those big droppers, that red medicine in the big dropper? So Norma says, hey, Bonnie, come take your medicine. And Bonnie scampers. I'm actually sitting on the stairs, the same ones Bonnie clacked down 10 years later. Um, and Bonnie scampers up past me. And Norma asks me, tells me, to do something that is impossible. She says, go make her come take her medicine. 
Hmm, how am I supposed to do that? I didn't know. Don't be afraid of not knowing. You're smart. Take your time. There's no hurry. And you'll get better at this, the creativity piece. Now, I'm imagining, again, going and grabbing her and bringing her downstairs and holding her down while we do the medicine. Y'all ever tried that? You know, they spew it. It's like waterboarding, you know, and it's like trying to make a little one take the medicine. Right. So I went and I, I, I sat on stairs. I said, Bonnie, and there was no answer because she's hiding under a bed somewhere. I said, um, you need to either come take your medicine or I'm just going to put you in timeout until you're ready to take your medicine. And that could be as long as you want. Now, once they know there's no power struggle and there's no fight, then they usually start to make better choices. All right. Now, I, I just see, I've just seen parents get playful or creative with this. One dad told me that he drove his kids to school, and if they were late getting ready, he got to pick the music on the way to school. You know, like, we're going to listen to Yanni today, kids, you know. Um, grades, I use it with grades. Kids who don't study always, have you even started looking? Have you done your homework? Have you turned in this project? And the parents are constantly in this power struggle with the kid. One of the things I set up all the time uh, was um, get the teachers to send a grade report on Thursdays. And if you have more than one C, I mean, you can pick your standard. Uh, if you have more than one seed, you're basically grounded for the weekend. That's no game, no friends, no electronics, no anything. And you know what? While you're grounded, we're not even going to tell you you have to study. You don't have to study. You don't have to do anything. But remember, there's next weekend. You see how I'm getting me out of the conflict? That's the power of the style of discipline. Not, well, if you want to be grounded again next week, young man, you'll get in there and you'll stay. And that kid's going to blow you off. I want to say you're grounded because your grades. I hate that you're going to miss the dance or the party or the game or whatever. That's so sad. I really am sad about that for you. You can be the nice guy. It didn't come in from you. They chose it. And you know what? You don't have to study. You never have to study. You'll be granted for every weekend for the rest of your life, but that's up to you. Get the vibe here. Find the power struggle, and you'll feel it like a disturbance in the force. You'll know when you feel that feeling, all right? And now wait. Don't rush in. There's no hurry. Find how it can cost them. Let's break this down to some steps and look at them kind of quickly. Number one, as I said, the moment you feel them draw that smoke wagon and throw down, I want you to wait. I want you to check the emotional rush that's going to flood over you. That feeling we talked about when they sass you and blow you off, that feeling will take away your power. It will make you be reactive. What you need to do is think. And this may mean putting yourself in timeout for a little while. All right, but back off, ease down. Remember in the marriage conference we said one of the steps to making sense of conflict is for you to go to time out? Remember we said why? It's because when we're triggered like that, we're triggered back here in our reptile brain, our hypothalamus, our amygdala, your caveman brain, where your only options are fight or flight or coddle or control, and that's all you got. All right, so the moment you feel that, are you on pills feeling? The first thing to do is not do what comes naturally. Don't react. If we're going to teach these kids, teach these kids, we're going to have to think, not react. Remember what I told you in the marriage conference? What Obi-Wan says to Luke? Luke, trust your feelings. Obi-Wan was wrong, okay? 
That's, that's, why, that's why I had to leave Luke and Leah with other people to raise. You can't raise children thinking like that, okay? Bail Organa, you know, the, and, and uh, Uncle Owen, they had to raise these kids because everyone's obviously not qualified, you know. So leave them, step away, think, take your time. We are smart up here. We are dumb back here, all right? So number one, have a little breather until you can kind of start to think. Now, number two, give them a choice. In other words, what event awaits them? As we said last night, kids are only going to learn through events. Part of that is what we said, that children are concrete. Remember Piaget, concrete operations, Sesame Street. Remember the examples? Children's most powerful way of learning is through an experience. And we said one of the reasons they will often not do what you command is because all that you've done so far is issued a command. And it would be like awesome if kids did what we said by command, but they're not. But think about it, actually, as adults, how many things would we do if they were just commands and there wasn't any consequence and we didn't know what the event would be and we weren't given a choice or an option of the consequence? What would we do if they came on the radio and said, hey, guys, the highway patrol's on strike, but don't y'all speed on the way to Jackson. We'll get real mad. I'm like, okay. You don't have to pay your taxes, but if you don't, by golly, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm like, okay. As adults, we need to know what our options are, okay? Why would we expect children to be different? All right, so the next thing to do once you feel that pushback is not intensify your command. The next step is to get you out of this. We need to find that choice, find that consequence, find that event. Not, I said... Get off the computer. I told you 10 minutes ago. I want it to sound like this. Hmm. Hmm. I told you to get off the computer, and you're not. That's interesting. So you're just going to refuse. Hmm. Well, I'm not even sure what to do yet. Um, I bet I can decide in the next few minutes, though. When I come back, I think there's probably going to be a nice, you know, handy consequence for you um but i'm certainly not going to fight you about it I, I was playing with wit the other day i love that observational we called it bird's eye in uh, the marriage conference i love observational i had had wit one afternoon and we had been playing and riding and, and he likes riding in my little convertible car we'll we kind of drive it together um and we 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 played with pumpkins and we picked up acorns we had had all this fun and it started to get cold and I said let's go inside it's getting cold and he goes no and I said so basically what you're saying is that anything you have wanted to do all day today I have said yes and we have done and when I ask you for something you're just going to say no and he said pretty much you know in a three-year-old term but, okay, what I was doing was I was trying to teach him. So then I had to go to a choice. I said, well, if you don't come in, I'm going to pick you up and carry you in, which attenders see. I'm having to get, be a little more hands-on. But let's get back to our kid with the computer. So I'm going to come back. Oh, you're still on the computer. So I think what's going to happen is I'm going to ground you from, from um, TV for the next few days. An event, all right? 
Now, when you do that, they're going to ignore you or go ballistic or have a tantrum, and we can talk about what to do when they do that. But what I want you to get is, the, the point at this point is, when you feel that refusal, don't try to make them, don't try to force them, don't be horrified at their disobedience. Pull out your gypsy scarves, get out your crystal ball, and do a little fortune telling. I see a cold, dark time out in your future. I sense loneliness, regret. I see you at the library using their computer, a beige 486 with Windows 95 on it. You know, in other words, don't, don't you know, fuss at them telling their choices. You know, feeling lucky, punk, all right? And by the way, these can be positive choices too, rewards. We're talking a lot about the negative. It can be positive too. Um, you know, if you do this, then there'll be this treat, as long as it doesn't become bribery, all right? The difference between a positive reward and bribery is whether you have a dog in the fight. Bribery sounds like this. Come on, baby, study. I mean, we'll, like, like, we'll give, you, give you $20 if you make an A. You hear how much I have invested in that? Reward is like, what? if you make all A's, we'll give you a reward or not. It's kind of up to you. No dog in the fight. That's the difference between a reward and bribery. All right? Either way, it's your choice. Not you'd better come in by curfew, but if you don't come in by curfew, I'm going to take your car for a week. And yes, that will cost you as much as it will cost them, but this cost will pay off. Okay? So, you could come in at curfew or not. You make the call. Like Monday Night Football, you make the call, all right? Not stop acting up at the dinner table, but act up all you want. If you do, though, I'm going to take your plate until we're finished eating, okay? Now, as I alluded to wit a minute ago, you attenders, it will require a little more hands-on from you. We're literally beginning to teach them this theme of if you disobey daddy, there's going to be little consequences. I will pick you up and put you in the playpen. We're teaching that. But I'm constantly surprised at how young they can actually get it if you're not in a power struggle. They will start to learn. Um, a friend of mine had a three-year-old who basically was acting like a little snit. And she said, well, if you're not willing to do that, then I guess you don't want to play on the pads anymore today. And he turned around. Or, hey, I'm making treats and you're not going to get one. We're just beginning to teach those littles that model, all right? So, managing your emotion, give them a choice. Number three, let them choose. Let them choose. Walk away if necessary, all right? Don't warn, don't say I mean it, don't count. Let them choose. Now, why is this important? Well, remember, number one, the only way that kids learn to obey is by disobeying and reaping consequences for that. Well, with our choice slash promise slash threat in step number two, basically we have changed the conflict from them versus you to them versus their choices, that event. I wonder what they'll choose. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, so they're not at war with you anymore. We finally got them where we want them. Hanging nose to nose with a choice. Don't get back in it, for heaven's sakes. Now, you know what will happen if you do. Get out of it. They're exactly where they need to be. We got them where we want them. 
The only place they'll learn is if they're left free to choose. We've got them in the same position that reality will. That's one of the things I love about this approach to discipline. I find it to be very powerful in teaching kids. It's very powerful tomorrow in getting them to do what you want them to do. It helped me get rid of my anger. But the best thing about it is we are literally teaching them the way the adult world works, which is where they're going. The goal is not an obedient child. The goal is a wise adult. And wisdom means understanding that this leads to that and this leads to that. And many are the way who take this wide way and it leads unto destruction and choose ye this day. And the Bible talks all the time about this kind of wisdom. Reality basically says you can have anything you want in life. You just have to pay for it. Life says I don't got a dog in your fight. You know, you don't have to pay your taxes. Black helicopters might come to your house, but, you know, you don't have to drive the speed limit. Mean old Mr. Highway Patrol might come and dock your allowance, but, you know, you can choose anything you want in life. I'm not going to make you do anything. You just choose and pay. Now, I want them to learn this now. I want them to learn this here with losing dessert or their computer. If the first place your children are free to make their own choices without your intervention is college, I promise you, those will be bad ones. I saw a lot of them happen right up the road here. (laughs) I made a lot of them right up the road here. (laughs) So let them choose. You're not going to like this example, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Let them miss carpool. Let them dilly-dally and be late for school. Let them miss carpool. Be nonchalant. You can be late. I'm not sure you're going to like what happens when you're late, but go ahead. Mom's going to mean that she's going to have to bring him later and be late for her own job. It's going to be terrible. Um, But then I'm going to let them deal with detention at school and what happens with that. And then they're going to be grounded all afternoon when they come home. I'll put them and their books in timeout until supper and maybe beyond that. But I don't care. I don't have a dog in that fight. In other words, get out of that. I'm going to try to make y'all come on, hurry. You, you have a couple of days of suffering and you pay off because they will learn. I remember mine when they'd act up in restaurants. You know what parents do when kids act up in restaurants. We get ashamed and we're like, this is why we don't bring you to nice places. I found a t-shirt the other day. I'm thinking about getting for wit. It says, I'm the reason we can't have nice things. <laughs> anyway, you know, parents in restaurants, like, look at that little boy over there. He's not acting up. You know, basically parents shame their kids who act up in restaurants. So what I would always do is I would quietly get up, pick them up, not say a word, and walk out and sit on the front steps, the front steps of the restaurant as they were crying and carrying on. And in a minute they would go, "Daddy, what are we doing?" And I go, "Well, you needed to be a real pill in the restaurant, and you can't do that in restaurants. So I thought I'd bring you out here so you could be a pill out here, and we'll be here. We'll sit here till you want, as long as you want." And they go, "Okay, I'm done." All right, so th- there's a cost to me, right? You know, you know what we say, that's going to cost me as much as it costs them. Yeah, it is. That's what good parenting does. But it's the cost of a dentist drill, not the cost of a toothache. This cost will pay off, all right? Let them choose. And hopefully they will suffer some. I like to call discipline safe suffering. In other words, as kids, they get a special treat. 
they get to learn about the way the universe works, cause and effect, only first time through with you loving parents and non-lethal consequences. How great is that? Right? So why do we take tech from that teenager who's texting sketchy stuff? We're saying this little trip back to the Stone Age is a picture of what can happen if you live this way. Why do we pop the leg of that four-year-old who runs in the street? We're saying here's a little safe-suffering version of what awful things could happen to you. It's safe-suffering. All right, number four, follow through. In other words, they need to experience the thing that you said they would experience or else you're a big fat liar, all right? We were visiting friends one day and this mom and her kid were interacting and she says, okay, that's it, you're in timeout. But then they kept interacting. He's like, well, I don't want to go to timeout. She says, well, then, you know, you need to just, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just made a promise to your son, you are in timeout. Were you bluffing? Was it just a threat? Okay. And this is where a lot of us parents drop the ball. Kids acting bad. We're desperate to control. So we make all sorts of threats and stuff. And then we regret it or we feel guilty or it's too much hassle. So we back down and the terrorist wins and we wonder why our kids are out of control, right? Got a teenager actually tell me once, yeah, they threaten a lot of stuff. But they don't really follow through. It's actually kind of confusing, he said. So if we don't follow through, we are depriving them of tasting the bad fruit, which is the only thing that will ever really teach them, right? In fact, the least powerful tool you have in the world to deal with your children is your words. You can beg and cajole and convince and argue and nag and threaten, and what's your kid going to do? Well, you know, Dad, never seen it that way before. Thank you. I'll go do my homework, right? They don't do that. Us, and especially kids, only learn through experience when we follow through. Now, therefore, you can assume, obviously, it is very important that we only be careful to pick choices and consequences that we're actually willing to follow through with. I see parents threaten these giant things. It's like, if you don't quit screaming, there's no summer camp, you know. Or if you come in late again, I'm selling that car. And everybody involved knows that you're not going to do that, right? Besides, consequences don't have to be really bad to teach. My model for consequences is short, sweet, to the point, certain. And here, try again. It's education, remember? Besides, big, scary consequences don't teach, which is our goal. They just scare you. All right? And those long-term consequences like no summer camp, that's so far in the future that your child's not going to learn anything. The goal is to learn. If I do this, this happens. I'd rather take their dessert today than summer camp in July. Okay, And you can do this nicely. Like the classic film Roadhouse starring Patrick Swayze. You know, the old double deuce. Be nice till it's time to not be nice. All right? You don't have to say, that does it. That's final. Now you're going to suffer. You can go, oh, baby, I told you if you didn't come down to supper when I called you, then, then you'd have to wait and eat after everybody else is finished. I'm sorry. Oh, but I didn't hear you. I have ADD. Oh, babe, I'm sorry. I feel for you. You're not the bad guy anymore. Their choices are the bad guy. 
I call this being lovingly ruthless. In other words, I'm a really sweet parent who's going to ruthlessly let you have the consequences that you have chosen. That is teaching the truth to your child. It's getting out of the way of the safe reality of childhood so they can be learning and being prepared for the hard reality of real life. That is why he who spares the rod hates his child. Rod, of course, being a metaphor for authority, not a literal rod, he said to other book writers on parenting. Um, Anyway, that's why we live in a child-centered culture, because most people aren't willing to be that lovingly ruthless. All right, that's our model. I've got more examples which I can pull from. I'd rather you give me questions and examples about discipline kind of issues. And let's do some Q&A for a little bit. Sorry, I sort of sprung that on you, microphone people. Here's, here's one just to think about while they're getting mics and while you're reflecting. People always ask me, what do you do when they act up at the grocery store, um, at church, um, at grandma's house, um, in the parking lot? And, and one of the reasons those places are difficult, they are what I call your child's home field advantage. Okay, In other words, when your child has you out in public or at someone else's house or at the grocery store, they have the advantage. That's their home field. It's like playing LSU at Tiger Stadium. Okay, And the, the, the answer to the question of what do we do then begins at home. In other words, if we begin to create a real sense of structure about how children choose Uh, choices and consequences and we establish that when you do have home field advantage at home it's going to be a lot easier to do it out in the world okay so you're limited in your power out in the world but um, you can start to hedge that power by establishing these patterns when you're at home by the way um, uh, tantrums talking about the grocery store reminds me of tantrums one of the things that I would do with tantrums um, is squat. You know, they're at the grocery store and they're having a tantrum on the floor. I would just squat like a ball catcher. And don't say anything. Just sort of be down there with them. Go, yeah, I know that you're mad. Yeah. Now what I'm saying is I'm with you and I'm not going to leave you and I'm absolutely not giving in and you can tantrum as long as you need. The fact that you're ashamed because of the tantrum and embarrassed and wonder what all the other parents are thinking that you're doing to your child over on aisle eight. That's the power that your child has with the tantrum, and don't let it affect you. I would just go, we can leave whenever you're finished tantruming, right? Now, every now and then you have an outlier child who, and you can ask about that, but he'll tantrum for eight hours. We'll talk about that if you want. But Questions? Um. I'm a single mom, and I have two kids that are basically a year apart, so we're kind of like the three musketeers. And Jennifer. Yes. Um, and so it's hard sometimes to know. You have to be the good cop and the bad cop mm-hmm. at the same time. And then because they're so close in age, if you're parenting, um, it, you know, it, it always be- turns into they're at that stage where they bicker all the time. And if I go one way or the other, it's like, well, you're taking their side and, you know, I'm always at fault. You always go her way or you always go his way. And 
just any insight, I guess, on that situation. All right, how old are the kids? 12 and 13. And some of what you're talking about, in a sense, is a dynamic of siblings. In other words, comparing how you treat one to the other or interaction between the two of them. Right. Okay. Um, rather than digging deeper into your, um, um, or as, as, as we all say nowadays, rather than doing a deep dive into your uh, story, uh, let me just give you some thoughts and principles on dealing with siblings. Um, there's a sense in which um, having siblings is the best training ever for being married. In other words, here's this person who you love, and sometimes you really can't stand them, but you really love them, but you have to make it work with them, and you're kind of stuck with them, and you can't just leave, and it's perfect. It's like God said, hmm, how can I get people ready for marriage when they're five years old? Let's give them a little brother, you know, and all of a sudden, you have to work on this all the time. Now, what most siblings like to do is put the parent in the middle as you're the arbiter, and, I, and, and you know, give you a striped shirt and a whistle, and you're the one who's constantly having to to intervene with these things. If they are fighting and conflicting, my first step with that, with that is, um, I tell you what, I'm not going to be here to referee all of your guy, you guys' fights, um, but let's put it this way. You, you guys need to work out how to share the Xbox or the ball or the game, or basically I'm taking it away from both of you, or you're both going to timeout. Whoever's at fault. In other words, it puts them in the position where they sort of have to say, you know, like marriage, well, I don't really like you today, but we got to make this work, you know. Um, and and, and they, they both have, a, have skin in this game to sort of say, well, we need to work it out or we're both going to suffer. And it shifts the dynamic to where they have to work it out and it gets you out of it. Um, if, if you got a, like a, more of a bully victim, one child is more oppressing the other one, I want to, on the one hand, lean in pretty hard on the more aggressive sibling. Like, I want to be an advocate for the, for, the, for the victim by saying, dude, you know, if you're going to pick on him, you're going to deal with me. Or, or with older kids, what I've said sometimes is basically, um, you know, that kid will say, hey, hey Dad, can I, um, you know, go, can I go to the game this weekend? I want to go, well, you know, actually, I'm going to take my cue of how to treat you from how you treat your brother. So I'm going to be kind of watching you and using that as a model for how much to give to you and care for you. So what I've seen lately is basically the moment he wants something, you hammer him. So I think for right now, I'm going to hammer you too, and you can't go to the game. As, as I see you treat your brother the way you wish I would treat you, that'd be great. You know, you show me, man. Ball's in your court. Um, also, though, with, a, with a, a sibling situation where one is more powerful or bullying than the other one, I also want to be empowering the victim. In other words, you, it, with you, if you have an oppressive spouse, uh, spouse an oppressive um, sibling and an oppressed sibling, part of what I want to do is to, is to get in the face of the oppressor, but I also want to say to the oppressed, look, let's look at point number six up there, number five up there of learning to be strong. I want you to push back. And if he treats you like that, I want you to push back. You're strong enough. I remember one of ours went through a little victim stage and she was constantly running to us going, she took my ball, she took my doll, she did. And we were, she was always tattling. 
And I, I gave her, I don't know if this is right or not, but I gave her a temporary 007 license to kill. I said, if they push you, then you have my permission to push them back and get out of that victim position. And she learned to sort of have to handle it herself. And then we revoked her license, and, you know. But temporarily, she had to sort of be pushed to be strong. A big mistake with kids who are oppressed by a bully at school or by a sibling um, is for us to treat them as if the bully is the only problem. Their passivity and weakness is just as much of a problem, so we have to balance that. One other thought about that story is um, a favorite go-to for children to use in a power struggle is... um, to call you on the carpet regarding fairness, all right? Kids love that one. This is in the book somewhere. Um, They are, in essence, saying, you know, Mom, I hate to tell you this, but there is an authority in this home that even supersedes you. Her name is Fairness, and she is a cruel mistress, and you must bend the knee to her. Because if what you're doing is not fair, then your authority is out of line, and I call you out on it, okay? And basically, what I want to say to that child is, yeah, I understand. It doesn't feel fair, and I get it. I care. But um, if you keep doing that, there's just still what's going to happen. But that's not what you do with him. I understand that that's hard, but it's still what I feel like is best here. And, and, and add this. How old is this child? Well, how old did you say they were? 12 and 13. Okay, that old, yeah. With a, with a, a child who's a teenager and is saying, pulling, I'm not, that's not fair card. I want to say, and by the way, if there's ever any chance, any time that you want to drop by, maybe when I'm cooking supper, and just talk to me about the, your, these issues and problems that you have about the unfairness in our family, please do that. Like say, hey, mom, you know, pull up a chair. We talk about the fairness in our family. It feels unfair sometimes. Drop by and do that. That's when I will discuss fairness with you, but not now. And you know what will happen? He will never have that conversation with you because he does not care about fairness in the family. He's just trying to use it to use as a power move on you, okay? That's love and limits again, notice. I'm like, yeah, I care that doesn't feel fair. I'm still not budging. Please, yes, come and talk to me anytime you want, which he never will. So you're kind of going to alpha him in that little maneuver. Yes, sir. Um, I just I had a question. You talked about the rod in the Bible yeah. being the authority and uh-huh. not, you know, literally. Um, so can you just t- talk a little more about spanking and when it's appropriate or inappropriate? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have nothing against spanking. I have something against inefficient discipline. To me, spanking is like a Coleman camping stove. In other words, if I want to cook dinner tonight, I've got a really nice Viking. Cooking is my favorite thing. It's an awesome stove. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to use my Coleman, lamp, my Coleman stove. But if I'm out in the wild, if I'm out where I have no other choices, then, yeah, the Coleman camping stove is great. 
But I have a lot of other options for discipline that I can use before I would use spanking. Um, I don't like spanking because, A, um, I would rather the discipline very clearly be, hey, gee, this is happening to me, the child, because of choices that I made. Literally sort of spank, spank, spank. I'm actually doing this to this child makes it a little fuzzier there. So I'd rather not use that as my go-to default all the time. Um, I'd rather them have something like a timeout or losing electronics or losing a privilege or getting grounded or something like that. Something that is an event that doesn't include my actual presence. Do anything you can to not use spanking with the child's aggression because that's kind of confusing. I'm using aggression to help discipline your aggression. Um, but with littles, you know, like I said, that four-year-old who runs out in the street, I want to I want to pop that leg real quick. I mean, I want a real short stimulus response between what happened and what they come away with. Um, mine would, uh, what if they come out of timeout? I like timeout. They come busting out of timeout. I would tell mine, if you come out of timeout, I'm going to pop you on the leg and put you back in timeout. So I'm, I'm, I'm using spanking when I can or when I need to, but it's just not my favorite because I don't think it's efficient in terms of teaching, which is our goal, is teaching, all right? Uh, but I, I have nothing against it in its sense, uh, in, in, its, in its essence. Um, I think that uh, people have tended to go too bad at streams on it. One is, oh my gosh, it's child abuse and no one should ever do it. Or that other extreme of it's the only legitimate discipline. I'd rather put it in my arsenal, but like I do the camping cooking, the Coleman camping stove. It's something I use if I don't have any other options. Okay, the first one is, uh, what does time out look like for children ages three to eight? Uh, putting them in the corner feels like shaming, but when they are sent to their room, they inevitably forgot about the punishment and will find something out to play with. Uh, no electronics to worry about yet. Great question. Um, what does time out look like? Um, I definitely want a secluded room, a walk-in closet. We used a bathroom a lot. Of course, some people have rambunctious children who will then cut on all the faucets and flood the bathroom, which you can't do that. All right, so a walk-in closet, a guest room, a utility room, someplace where there's minimal damage and very uninteresting, okay? Um, we used the bathroom so much. My children would not act out in the bathroom. They would just sit in the bathroom. We used the bathroom so much that one day we were leaving on a trip and the car's all packed, and we're ready to go, and Norma says to Catherine, Catherine, we're about to leave, go to the bathroom, and Catherine's like, I didn't do nothing, okay? Um, um, what does it look like for ages three to eight? Those are my favorite years for time out. Um, you know, you know if, let's even go lower. You have a two-year-old who bites or hits you, after you gaze them a couple of times, like, no, 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 we don't bite, and they still do it, I'm just fine walking them in that room or that playpen and closing the door for just a second. I just want to start building the principle that there's a consequence there. By three years old, you can go for more time. Uh, by four years old, sky's the limit, all right? Uh, you know, I, I always ask people, like, okay, so this, this kid's six years old. How long are you putting him in timeout? And they're like, oh, six minutes because he's six years old. 
Now, I don't know who came up with this, but I want to say something in the universe before I die that has that much long-lasting, widespread, worldwide impact as the person who said you put your child in timeout for the number of years they are. No! Put them in timeout until you feel like it's unpleasant for them. Like a four-year-old can do 10 minutes in timeout. Easy. It's not like they don't have object permanence. Ooh, I'm locked in a room that's a netherworld of emptiness and everyone is gone in the universe. No. They know you're out there. They're fine. They just don't want to be in timeout. I, I see so many four-year-olds running families um, in my travels. It's interesting. But, so, in the room... Um, the, a, a safe, boring room, if possible. Um, use your gut on how long. If it's not getting through to them, use a little more time. Um, so many people I have said, I've talked to who say we have a child who's like running our house with her, her, you know, tantrums and all that, and we put her in timeout and it doesn't work. And I'm like, well, how long is she in timeout? You know, two minutes. I'm like, no, let her sit in there longer. And second infraction, let her sit in there longer. And third infraction, let her sit in there longer. And by the time the child is eight, by third infraction, they can stay in there for an hour or more, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, I want them to learn, you keep pushing this, there are consequences. Now, that's one of the reasons I like timeout, because nothing bad is happening to them. They're just in isolation. And that's a win-win, because you don't have to be around them. Is that all that question? Quite a few. We got quite a few more. If you want to entertain some others, except we got live ones. Good. Here. Let's do. Let's do a, one or two more, and then we'll take a break and come back for our next one. Yes, ma'am. Um. Okay. I've got a five-year-old who's angry at me all the time. Feels like. Um, and I don't think he just turned into this. I think he's been like this since before he could walk or talk. Because instead of like when he was upset or wanted something, it wasn't like wah wah or whiny. It was like this punishing shrill scream for when he was a baby right yeah and so now yeah any any oversight is like devastating it's the end of the world any inconsistency is just what is oversight a betrayal what do you mean like if i don't know i forget to put something in his lunch you know just crazy um and it feels really personal like if if he knows we're in a hurry, like we need to get in the car and get the other kids, he goes slow on purpose. Hmm. If I give him choices, like do you want to wear this or that, things I don't care about, I'm just glad for him to choose, he'll pick one, and then when he sees that that's okay, he'll pick the other one because he wants to pick the one I'm the least okay with. Mm -hmm. And when you, said, uh, when you said anger's how you act when you don't have control, like I was like, well, that makes sense. Like He doesn't have a lot of control, although... I mean, innately, but he takes it. You know, the other kids, there are three older kids who just kind of like, all right, fine, he can have it. All right, he can do it first. All right, I don't care. He can have that cup or whatever. Whatever it is, it's easier for them in life to just, like, fine, he's five, he can do it. And they're all a little older. You know, as you grow, you learn to give other people things. And so they they can do that. But it's, I think it's unhealthy. Because, he's five? Yes. As you do this stuff to your dad as well? No, he comes in, and he's like, well, all you got to do is just, okay. It seems to be a more personal dynamic between he and his mom. Mm -hmm. When I'm around and he's dealing with her, he deals with her differently. When I'm around, he deals with me, he deals with me differently. No problems at school. 
no problems at uh, you know with this peers. is why I like to ask questions back you hear this yeah <laughs> so, and you know I, and if I walk into a room and and he's treating her like she just described he immediately changes and will handle that in that instant it's not like he's, he's getting off scot-free when I'm around but when when I'm not around and he's in the house he, he changes last thing you want to add something yeah like if we're intent like driving in the car and he's in the back I don't know, arguing about something or just doing one of his things. And I like turn in a way that I was going to turn anyway, but it's toward his office. It's like, are we going to dad's office? Like just right away, you know, or if I slow down at a stop sign, he's like, are you going to spank me? Like he knows. This is good stuff. Man, he is. And at school, so I worried he went to school. You know, I was like, he's going to be terrible. They're not going to allow him to come to school. No, he's a quote model student. He's the only right. one who's never had his stick pulled this from is, green to this yellow. Is the game's afoot. Like, uh, this I know. Is very it's all, he just he wants to make me miserable. That's okay, what he so wants it's to personal. Do. So all right. So yeah. we're backing up. This is not, is not a child who does not have the capacity to contain their emotional world. This is not a child who has overbrimming rage that he does not know what to do with. This has some dynamic with you two. Now. What kind of consequences do you use with him? Well, I have spanked him, you know, I, I guess. Let's stop that since he's so aggressive. Okay, yeah. Um, I try the, the choice thing. Well, if you are going to sit there like that, then you're not going to get to go where we're going. Or, you know, I'm, you'll have to stay in here. And it, it's just, it feels like it starts a standoff that lasts, you can know, all afternoon. You Will know. he go to timeout? He'll come in the most public room at the house and be like, I need some alone time. Like, you all get out of here. I'm like, you can't come in the den and tell everybody to leave so you can have alone time. You know, but he doesn't want to go in his room by himself. He plays this I don't like to be alone card. And oh, I excellent. I, I want him to be alone then. Okay. <laughs> it, it, he makes me feel like he's really, like, being psychologically damaged by being alone. Because there was one time when we went to the grandmother's house and forgot to unbuckle him in the car. And he remembers it and plays this card. He's good, man. He's so good. He's good. He's like, remember that time he's you left me Napoleon in the car? He's the Napoleon of crime. <laughs> okay, so... And so um, maybe, what, maybe he is messed up. I don't what know. would he do if you put him in... What would he do if you put him in an uninteresting timeout room like a walk-in closet or a utility room? I don't know. He'd probably shout and kick the door and stuff. Good. And I want to say, kick the door, shout all you want. You owe me 30 minutes in timeout. Because this is just the first infraction, second mm -hmm. infraction will be an hour. Anyway, your time will start when you stop screaming, yelling, and kicking. So that's what I usually do. I'm, like, I'm going to start the timer when you're quiet. Yeah. You know, it takes a long time, but I eventually start it, and it, he does usually calm down. It just happens all the what time. What does he want from you? Me to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Like, okay. you know, it, I'm doing laundry, so I have to walk from one room to the other, and he's like, no, stay here. We need to play or something. I'm like, well, I just can't play all day you know I have to do something else all right let's add a little more element to that um, we could have lots of fun with this one it's got lots of good complex dynamics oh, but um, I want you to really consider a timeout that he readily goes to when he's unkind whenever you can um, I want to be really careful about giving him anything and I want to say in a non-shamey practical way um, Anytime I ask you for something, you seem to want to hurt me by not giving it. And so now you're asking me for a snack, and I'm a little confused. Um, I don't think I really want to give you a snack because you're unkind to me all the time. 
And when you're in timeout, you scream and you yell. I think, now let me add another piece. One of the things, remember I keep telling you children are concrete. Children are concrete with their emotions too. They don't feel their feelings, they do their feelings. All right. So when, when a child doesn't get what they want at the grocery store, they don't say, gee, mom, I am so sad I didn't get that, that nutty buddy. They're like, blah, they do their feelings, okay? Now, somewhere between then and adulthood, we develop the ability to where some guy cuts you off on the interstate and we go, oh, I'd love to run to the back of that guy and teach him a lesson. But we don't, right? All right, so what happened in those intervening years is our emotions became mental. And with children who are very driven by emotion, I at least want to do some mentalizing of that emotion. I want to say, you are angry at me a lot. And I understand you're very angry. Now, again, like I said last night, we're not being Mr. Rogers' neighborhood there. You're very angry. We're actually teaching, all right? And I want him to have some awareness of you get angry and you do mean things to me. And it's not your job to change that. It's my job to protect myself from you hurting me like that. So you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon time out if I need to because I can't let you treat me like that. And then I want dad to get a report when he comes home. And I want him to come home and go, so, sonny boy, your mom here, sheriff, when I'm gone and I'm her favorite deputy. <laughs> And I hear you have made her life so unhappy today. Tonight is for you and me. And you and me are going to sit, and I'm going to sit outside your time out room, and I'm going to make sure that you know that you and I are going to have very unpleasant evenings together when you treat her like that. You need him to advocate for you in front of the kid. And so the kid knows that he bugs with you. He's bugging with the, with the boss here. All right? And I want th that to be very clear to him, not just like, ooh, the boss is away so I can beat up on mommy. Yeah. So we need to kind of unify that for, for, for him. All right? Thanks. Yeah. All right, let's take a 15-minute break, and we'll be back. Thank you all.